And Father, grant us the grace to stop talking to ourselves and talk to you instead. Thank you that we can do so at any time. There is no circumstance, no moment in which we cannot draw near to you and know that we are heard and loved and precious to you, more precious to you than the life of your own son was. Thank you for that. That, Lord Jesus, you were willing to endure rejection, face fear, be killed for our sake so that we may live forever. Help us, Lord. Meet with us. May your word minister to us and change us from the inside out, I pray in Jesus' name. And wherever we are, we said, amen. Open your Bibles, please, in the book of Philippians, chapter 4. The book of Philippians, chapter 4. People who are working very hard in our nation's response to this unprecedented uh, pandemic are telling us that one of the great things that we have to look out for is not ultimately saving human life alone, but saving emotional and mental health, looking out for broken relationships. Uh, The damage they're concerned, if this goes on for a very long time, will not be only physical, but spiritual and emotional and mental. It was already an anxious age. Because of the internet, because of the constant stream of distraction, because of the 24-hour news cycle, many of us were already finding it difficult to be peaceful. We're going to have to deal very carefully. We're going to have to deal very personally with the reality of anxiety and fear. And the good news is the Bible speaks a great deal about it. If you'll look with me in Philippians chapter 4, you're going to find teaching from the Apostle Paul to Christians. And almost every believer in the Bible, before Jesus and after Jesus, but especially the disciples of Jesus, almost every single one of them was in trouble. Almost every single one of them had cause to be anxious. Sometimes when we read Scripture, we're tempted to think that these things happened so long ago and are so far removed from our personal days and experiences that the authors of Scripture and the people who are receiving these letters could not possibly understand what we're going through. Well, certainly they would find all of our technology very strange, but make no mistake. Make no mistake, the people who are reading the letter of the Philippians, the church in Philippi, is going through suffering. In an earlier chapter, Paul refers to their opponents. He tells them not to be afraid. He tells them that it has been granted to them as a gift from God, not only to believe, but also to suffer for Jesus, which is why we might find it surprising that he says in Philippians 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And here's the passage we're going to study. Do not be anxious about anything. Did you catch that? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The Bible is enormously practical. It's never conceptual. It's never abstract. It has deep truths. But along with everything that God promises you and everything that God tells you to do, there's always going to be a how. So today we're going to talk about anxiety. I'll begin in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Well, in the real world where Real people meet real problems. That seems almost an impossibility. But as we look forward in this passage, you're going to discover that that simple commandment, that simple instruction is followed by three very simple things that you're told to do so that you can obey it. In other words, you're told not to be anxious about anything, and then you're told how. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything instead... Do not be anxious about anything instead, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The first thing Paul tells the anxious, fearful, conflicted, persecuted Philippians and tells us 2,000 years later, if you would escape anxiety, first, pray to God. And that seems so obvious, but it is so escapes us. See, I discovered years ago a very strange bad habit that had crept into my mind. When problems started coming into my life that were making me anxious, I discovered too late, frankly, I suffered more than I should have, that I would think about them, I would ponder them, I would ruminate on them, I would work on them, I would do so many things, but too late I discovered that I wasn't really praying. To pray is to speak to God. I too, much, too often was only speaking to myself. See, when the Bible says do not be anxious about anything, I want to be really clear and transparent with you. That's a word for me that I need because I know how to worry with the very best of them. If worry were a martial art, I would have a black belt. I've excelled at it. It's in my temperament. It's not the way I don't think God made me. It's actually the way sin broke me. But I've had to learn, and I'm still learning, and I'm still on the road along with you who suffer with fear and anxiety. I'm right in step with you. I've had to learn how to obey what the Bible is telling me here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. If you notice, verse 6 is a very dense little verse. It's got a lot of words in it that refer to speaking to God. There's prayer, there's supplication, there is giving thanksgiving, and there is making requests. Why did Paul use so many synonyms? Why did he use so many different words to refer to prayer? Because that's what it looks like to lay it all out in front of him. You start speaking to God in prayer. As you bring him your troubles, you start pleading with him. You start 
with supplication along the way. Always ask Him and discipline yourself to lace and cover all of that with thanksgiving. And as you're praying, make every one of your requests known to God. The battle really is for the mind. That's what we're fighting for here. And the first line of defense, the first habit that we are told to escape anxiety so that we are not anxious for anything is to pray. And let me be as practical as I can. On March 27th, just two days ago, I restarted a prayer journal. I'd gotten out of the habit of actually writing things down. And I took a moment, and just what I'm suggesting that you can do if it's difficult for you to pray in these days, I took a moment to write down in as much detail as I could everything that I was concerned about. There are two or three things that pertain to me individually. There's more than a dozen that pertain to other people. My family, people I know in our congregation, how we are to navigate all this together, people I know who are especially vulnerable physically and especially vulnerable spiritually and emotionally through this time, it helps a great deal. Here's the practical suggestion. It is enormously helpful if you are so anxious that you cannot pray and your mind is spinning, it's helpful to write it down, to quiet your mind. The discipline of writing things down, of choosing words, of making a list generally will quiet your mind down, and then you can pray as you're used to. Remember that in all these things, your heavenly Father is listening to you. Your heavenly Father, who knows all about this, is actually waiting to hear from you and to do something for you, according to verse 7. It says, when you do all this, when you, when you step away from anxiety, but instead in everything that happens to you by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, you make your request known to God, verse 7 tells you what's going to happen, what you can expect and what you'll experience. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Look carefully again at verse 7. When you pour out your request to God, when you maybe out of necessity write things down because you can't quiet your mind, and you lay it all out in front of your heavenly Father, knowing that He already knows it in advance, knowing that He loves you with the perfect grace of the saving life of His Son, that He awaits you with no judgment and no condemnation because He has already, already made you part of His family, when you lay all of those things in front of him, his peace, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's important. It's important that you dwell and understand on what it means when the Bible promises that the peace of God surpasses all understanding. In other words, God can meet with you. God can personally come to you and give you His peace in a way that has absolutely nothing to do with your circumstances. It's important to think about that. See, every time we are anxious, every time we are fearful, 
Our whole country has convulsed, and we're all doing the best we can to change these circumstances. And we should. We should absolutely do everything we can to change these circumstances. That's why we're not meeting. We're cooperating. We're doing, as a church community, we're doing the best we can for our community. That's why we're having the food drive. We are working in the name of Jesus to do all that we can to change these circumstances. However, the promise here is that the peace of God has nothing to do with those circumstances, that it goes beyond circumstances, that the peace of God will come to you And independent of things changing, independent of things being different, you will have peace, and a peace, it says, that will guard your hearts and minds. And that phrase, I'm pretty sure, was specifically chosen by Paul for the Philippians because they were very proud of their Roman citizenship, and they had a famous Roman garrison, a very strong military base filled with Roman soldiers ready to defend them. That's Paul's word picture. That if in your times of anxiety and fear, you will lay it all out in front of God, he will respond when you pray to God, he will respond and come to you and give you a peace that will safeguard, that will protect, that will garrison your heart and your mind by centering them in Christ Jesus. But that's not all he said. Verse 8 is what you should do once the peace of God comes to you. And remember, these are practices. This is a habit. This is not a one-time, thank God that's over, thank God I've got it experience. This is a daily walk with Jesus through new circumstances, through new fears, through new suffering. First, you pray to God, and then Paul says in verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You pray to God, and then you learn, you practice something else. You ponder His truth. Verse 8, if you notice, is it's a filter It's the kind of criteria, it's a list of the sort of things that you should be thinking about. Let me just read the highlights. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Those are the things Paul says that we should be thinking about. And this is one of the real dangers and one of the things we'll have to keep spiritual track of as we go through this together. Because we're confined to our homes and because of the internet, what many of us are choosing to do, most likely, is just to numb ourselves to the reality outside the door, to empty our mind with trivial things. And Paul says, no, don't do that. Make sure that you guard your mind by only allowing certain things to remain in it, things that are true, things that are honorable, things that are pure, things that are lovely, things that are commendable and excellent and praiseworthy. Those are the things Paul says you should be thinking about. I have good news on this count. If you know how to worry, 
you already know how to obey this verse. Because what this verse is inviting you to do and telling you to do is to practice biblical meditation, to be really clear and really practical. Eastern meditation, which is increasingly practiced here in the West, even by people who are are atheist, who are finding it unable to cope with their personal resources. They're more and more recommending and engaging in Eastern mysticism and Eastern meditation. And here's here's the difference. Meditation as recommended from the New Age, from ancient world religions, invites you, usually through the, phrase, through the use of repetition, to empty your mind. What God invites you to do is something very different. He doesn't want you to empty your mind. He wants you to fill it. He wants you to ponder. He wants you to think, not as a passing thought, but to keep your mind focused on things that are true. Certainly part of the hysteria, part of the suffering of this is that so much has been said and done through social media regarding this crisis. It's just, it's one of the privileges actually of being a pastor. Sometimes a lot of people take the time to text or call or email me saying, did you know? And way too often it is some dire, terrible thing that has absolutely no basis in fact. That's why the first word here is the things that occupy your mind, first of all, have to be true. If they're not true, they're a lie. If they're a lie, they're from the enemy. If they're from the enemy, they're going to make you fearful. They threaten to destroy you. Every single one of these things is beneficial, is a blessing to you, true and honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. Those are the things, Paul says, that you should be thinking about. So first, we pray, and as we pray, we filter, and then we ponder too. We keep our mind focused, we keep our mind filled with the truth of God. Perhaps Paul was was thinking of Isaiah 26, verse 3 and 4, when he wrote this, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Who has peace? The person who battles and struggles and continually returns to God and keeps his mind focused on God in a way that causes that person to trust God. Listen to this invitation. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. What does that image mean? It means that God is unchanging, that circumstances change, and death and illness and unemployment and financial and emotional and relational suffering are continually threatening us, but our unchanging God is always present, is always for us, and our invitation and our greatest need is to keep our mind focused on Him. I believe I've told you before, when I was a little boy growing up in in Chihuahua, Mexico, as the son of missionaries, Sometimes my dad's visits would take him into a pretty rough side of the city. He would always take me with him, if it was appropriate to do so, to teach people, to visit with people, and that's one of the reasons I learned to to love ministry and to learn to love how the Bible could be opened up and meet people's needs. 
on one of those occasions, we're walking downtown in a place that, small as I was, I probably wasn't much taller than his knee, made me actually very anxious. And the reason it made me anxious is there was a string of nasty little bars on this, uh, on this downtown street. And these ugly little disheveled places would just pound. I mean, you could literally see the windows shake with music that I'd never heard before. Music that certainly wasn't part of our, part of our home. And I was always fearful of who was going to come out of those bars and what they were going to be like and what they might do. And sure enough, one afternoon, all my fears came true. One of the ugliest, nastiest men I'd ever seen in my young life stumbled out of that bar. Frankly, I think, I think he got thrown out of it. He was big. He was ugly. I could smell the stench coming off of him from where I stood. And in that moment, without even thinking, I reflexively reached out with my left hand, took my father's large hand in mine, and tucked myself behind his leg. As soon as that happened, I felt his hand on my shoulder, and my father said in English, it's okay. In that moment, my circumstances hadn't changed. The drunk was still there. He was still frightful. He was still menacing. What had changed was that I had taken shelter in my father. And looking back, now as a dad myself, you know, when you're a very little boy, when you only reach your dad's knee, you think your dad's the biggest, strongest man in the world. And, and certainly my dad was a very capable and strong man. But he was just a man. He could be defeated. He got tired. He got anxious. He made mistakes. He committed sins just as I do now. When you draw close to God, when you shelter yourself in God, you have the everlasting, eternal, ever faithful God to take refuge in. You keep him in peace, Isaiah says, the person who draws near to you. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Your trust in any human being on this earth could someday be betrayed, if only by their weakness, if only by their own fragility, if only by their own death. But you take shelter. You are first told to pray in every way. Make all your requests. Give all your supplication. Let all your thanksgiving, let it all come out. Lay it all out in front of God in pr prayer. And then... Ponder how true, how faithful, how good he is, and take shelter in him because the Lord your God is an everlasting rock. And then Paul closes in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The third thing that Paul recommends to escape anxiety is to practice the faith that you've been shown. It's very simple. I normally don't alliterate. I don't try ever to make the points of a sermon come out with a single letter, but this just fell right out of the text. In times of anxiety, first we pray to God, and we pray as often. We pray in writing. If necessary, we continually go back to God until we spread it all out in front of Him. 
Once his peace begins to come and begins to protect our mind and gives us reassurance and comfort that has nothing to do with the circumstances, then we set to guard the peace that we've just been given by making sure that we're only thinking about those things that meet his criteria, things that are true and lovely and praiseworthy. And then Paul says, you have to go back out into the world. You've met with your father. You've experienced his grace. He's given you peace. Now, Paul says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. What's he telling us here? He's telling us to practice the faith that you've been shown. And I'll close with this. One of the great blessings and opportunities that our church is going to have through all of this is for anxious and fearful parents to practice prayer, to guard their minds, to experience God's peace, and to show all of that to their children. We're going to have the opportunity, even if it's only digitally, even if it's only on the phone, even if it's only on social media, we're going to have the opportunity to demonstrate to one another the truth of our faith. You're going to have to be the kind of people, and I'm committed to being the kind of person who lives out my faith so that other people can look and learn in a practical way that this faith actually matters, that it really makes a difference, that it transforms people from the inside out. Please, please, Crosspoint, wherever you're listening, whenever you're listening, please do not look at this as a time to retreat into a bunker and to anxiously hang on. Throughout all of the history of the faith, we have been given precious examples in Scripture and in life of how the faith can be practiced, how Jesus can be trusted in the worst of circumstances. And we've learned, not only from Scripture, but from seeing a faith lived out, that truly the God of peace is with us. All that Paul is trying to say is in, the, in these few verses is that it is God who provides peace. He's told you not to be anxious, but instead to pray to pray and to struggle in prayer and to walk in prayer until the peace of God comes and begins to guard your hearts and minds. And then to keep your mind focused and steady. Put that filter on, please. In this time, be very, very careful not to allow just anything to come into your mind. Don't seek to empty your mind. Seek to fill it with God's truth. And especially if anybody is looking at you at all, for example, if anybody is looking at you for love, please practice the faith visibly. Make this a time for more love. Make this a time to give more hope. Make this a time to be more giving. Make this a time to be more prayerful. Make this a time to be wiser because I'm convinced and I'm praying to God every day that when this is over, and it soon will be, this isn't the new normal. We won't live like this forever. The people in our communities and in our families, especially those of 
around us who do not know Jesus will see that we went through this so differently and with so much peace that they will be drawn, not to us, but to Jesus. Listen, we can't choose what we go through, but we can choose how we go through it. Since God provides this peace, let's pursue it. Let's pursue it by praying. Let's pursue it by biblical meditation, by filling our minds, not with anxious worry and anxious fear, but on the truth of his word, on the goodness of his character, on the grace of his son. And let's go out beginning just in a short time from now with our food collection and distribution. Let's go out and practice the faith that we've been shown at such great cost. God provides peace, Crosspoint. Let's get after it. Let's pursue it. Let's pray together now. Just a word to those of you who may be watching this church service, maybe wondering if there's anything here that can help you, if there's anything true that will be said. Friends, I, it's all true. Jesus really did die on the cross for sinners like me. He rose from the grave after three days as promised by him personally and as promised in his word in scripture so that you could have eternal life. Maybe you're watching this broadcast and this all sounds good to you, but you think it really doesn't apply to me. I'm not even sure of my salvation. I'm not even sure I have a relationship with God. You can. You can have it now. If you'll call out to God and turn yourself in, if you will confess yourself a sinner and just tell him everything. See, that's one of the tricky things in prayer. People mistakenly think, I can't tell God anything. He already knows everything. Think you're, change your mindset about that. Since God already knows everything, there's nothing you can't tell him. He's seen you at your worst. He's seen your darkest deeds and thoughts. It was for those deeds and thoughts that Jesus died. So you can call out to him right now, whenever and wherever you see this. If God moves in your heart to persuade you and convict you that it's true and that you have need of him, you can turn to him right now and say, Jesus, save me, a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. Please save me. Give me this eternal life this guy's been talking about. And he will. Not because I mentioned it. I'm just the reporter. I'm just the messenger. But I'm also a participant. I've lived through it. It's changed my life. I know it's true for all kinds of reasons, one of which is it changed and it saved me. So if you need Christ, turn to him right now and say, Lord, please save and forgive me. Make me part of your family. I take your payment for my sins. Help me now to live with you and walk with you and experience this peace that I've been hearing about. And if you know Jesus, listen. The God who did not spare his own son will surely, along with Jesus, give you everything, including peace. Father, I pray for those who right now may be turning to you. I pray that many would, if they're not entirely certain of their salvation, that they would turn and be saved now. And God, it would be just a big blessing. I pray for something specific and personal. If they would let us know, 
so that we could keep praying for them and encourage them and do what we can to serve them as they begin their first steps with you, we would be so grateful. Father, this week, let us not empty our minds. Let us pray and pour out all of our troubles. Let us guard our mind by keeping it stayed on you and your truth. And let us be careful to practice the faith that we've been shown at such cost that in all of these things we may not live in anxiety, but instead have your peace. We ask this in Jesus' name.